Welcome to In the Know with Erin Glow, a podcast bringing you information and inspiration from people in all walks of life. This is author and yoga instructor, Anita Grace Brown. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of In the Know with Erin Glow. And today I have a very impressive guest. Her name is Anita Grace Brown, and she is a poet, a mystic, a wife and mother, and she enjoys sharing her testimony of immense healing. It turns out the body has always been our best friend, is what she says. As a Jesus follower, she brings the gospel alive in a fresh way through the chakras and the nervous system in her first book, Kamikaze Yogi. So welcome to the show, Anita. It's great to have you here. Hi, Erin. It's really great to be with you. I'm very excited to talk to you. You have your book, Kamikaze Yogi. We're going to talk more in depth about that in a minute, but I wanted to start off the interview by just asking you how you grew up. If you could tell me a little bit more about yourself, your background, where you grew up, what kind of child were you, you know, your teen years, anything you want to share that that might be interesting to the listeners. Okay. I am an only child and I grew up with my mother and my grandmother in a really small house in South Jersey. And my grandmother and I, and I called her my Oma, uh, were German. And she and I shared a bedroom from when I was nine until when I was 18. So very much like a sister and being an only child, that was really special. And my mom worked really hard. She had to work two jobs and I never met my birth father. And so a big part of my story and my healing is around the questions that arose around his identity, what happened to him, and uh, the fact that my mom felt like she had to cover up some things to protect me, to not feel um, ashamed of some of her own choices. And so, um, that was a big missing piece. And I'm sure you might have some listeners that either they could be adopted or they have a similar story of not knowing their father. And yeah, that's what comes up as you ask that question. So I was a really um, outgoing child and teenager. I loved being with my friends, being a cheerleader, and I loved school. I, I did well in school. And I was first generation to go to college. So that was a really big deal for my mom to be able to help me get to University of Delaware. Wow. So that's a very interesting story you have there. And that actually leads me into my next question, which is, was there a significant event in your life or struggle that, you know, led you on the path you are on now and how you help people today? And it sounds like a lot of it has to do with your birth father. Yeah. So when I was 38, so fast forward a few years, uh, my mom sat me down and it was a few years into us having an internet. I don't remember exactly what year we all began using it, but she realized that the story that she had crafted about the man in the picture uh, in the uniform that was her husband, that she told me was my father, she knew that now with the internet, if I went looking for him, he would say, I'm not your father. So she figured she'd better tell me the whole story. And in telling me the whole story, that meant telling her husband the whole story. So she had been married to Jim at that point for about 20 years, and he did not know that uh, she had had an affair 
and my father was Dan Iavicini, a Philadelphia fireman. And so the day that she told me that was one of the happiest days of my life because I just needed to fill in these big missing pieces. And I didn't know that I was Italian. So finding out at 38, the name of my father, that I was Italian, she thought I was going to be upset with her. I wasn't upset at all. I just said, I'm just so happy to have this information. And then I had a family member tell me to go on Ancestry.com. And I had never heard of that before. It's hard to imagine that now. And I found my half-brother within 24 hours. <laughs> and I didn't know I had a half-brother. Turns out I have three. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's amazing. Not many people can, can say that. And uh, I'm sure there are other people, like you said, that are, are like you who are looking for, you know, that common bond of, of not knowing who one of their parents are. And you find out, wow, you have siblings you never knew about. Did you connect with them? I did. Um, I began like a pen pal relationship with my one brother, Tony. And then over the course of a few weeks, we decided that we were only three hours from each other and that we would meet in person. And um, my children and his children were about the same ages at the time. And as cousins, we like decided that that would be a great relationship for us as siblings and for them as cousins. So it was a really beautiful experience. And then a few years after that, I met his brother who he grew up with, my other half brother, Dan. Didn't really develop too much of a relationship with him, but had some nice texting here and there over the years. And as everybody's gotten older, we've lost touch a bit, but it's it's been pretty wonderful. Wow. I'm so happy to hear that because that could go either way, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. When you think about it, it's not as shocking for me because once my mother told me, she said uh, Dan was married in 1965 and he had two little boys. So I went into this Ancestry.com exploration knowing that they existed, but they didn't know I existed. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Were they shocked like completely when you, you reached out? Yeah, totally shocked. Uh, Tony said he was on Ancestry looking for cousins, long lost relatives. And when he read my post, he said to his wife, oh, my God, I think this woman is my sister. <laughs> wow. So that was when I was 38. So for the next 12 years, I basically had the story. I don't need a father. I'm a grown woman. He obviously doesn't care about me. And if he doesn't want to meet me, you know, I don't need him in my life. That's not going to be helpful. And it was just the story that I carried around. And then um, as I approached 50 years old and had developed a relationship, you know, with my one brother pretty close during that time, he would say to me, I told Dan that about you and that we know each other and we care about each other and the cousins, you know, have gotten to be friendly. And he, Dan said to him, she's not mine. So then I had the added uh, embarrassment that this man claimed I was not his daughter. So then my friends and family would say to me, what an idiot, like absolutely don't meet him. Don't put any energy toward that. And I agreed. And then one day I was reading an obituary and his last name is Iavicini. And I saw something about an Iavicini and it wasn't him, but for a second, I thought he died. And in my spirit, I felt this yearning when I realized it wasn't him. He wasn't dead. 
that I did really, really want to meet him. So I began to make plans to uh, drive from New Jersey down to Maryland, which is close, just a few hours, as you know. And my husband came with me on a beautiful September day. And I very bravely showed up at his front door unannounced um, with a letter in hand and pictures of my children just to say, I want nothing from you. I just want to show you that I turned out really great. I have a good life and you have these grandchildren. They're great. And you're off the hook. Like you don't have to worry, literally nothing to worry about. And his wife, Uh, was furious that I was there and she tried to slam the door in my face and told my husband and I that she didn't believe me. And in the midst of his wife saying that, he looked me in the eye and he said, "Um, I'll take your letter, I'll take your phone number and I will be in touch. And I left there on cloud nine that I did what I set out to do and that I knew that he knew in that moment when he looked in my eyes that I was his daughter And we were there overnight in a a hotel and we were getting on the road the next day to head home and the phone rang and it was his wife saying, I'm so sorry. I was so rude to you yesterday. If you're willing, would you please come back and, and visit with us? And so we went over there and we spent about two or three hours uh, getting to know them. And the man who claimed that I wasn't his went into his chest and pulled out my baby pictures And I turned them over one by one. And there was my mother's 20-year-old handwriting. Oh, Dan, look how beautiful she is. Won't you please come back to us? And here he had left everybody, his wife and those two boys, my mom and me. And he just disappeared for years. Wow. That takes a lot of courage to do what you did. But I, I find it interesting. So you, yeah, the obituary is what sparked that yearning in you and you realized you had to do what you had to do or else you'd always regret it. Right. Wow. So did that spark a relationship with you guys? It did. It wasn't what I thought because now here I am, a 50-year-old woman and him, a 77-year-old man, strangers to each other. So I had to let go of the dream that because I did that brave thing, we were going to become father and daughter. And um, there were lots of times when I would want him to reach out to me and be really upset that he didn't have that in him. And then one day he was just really honest and said, I will always respond. I will always write back or call back but I just don't have it in me to be the initiator of this relationship. And so once he laid that out really clearly, I was able to just accept it. And that's the way it's been working for seven years. When I reach out, he reaches back. So he basically told you what he was capable of doing and you accepted that. And now you, you have some kind of relationship with him, you know, even if it's not the one that you hoped for. Right. It's pleasant. Right. But it goes to show, I mean, it's never too late to try, you know, and, and at least you get some kind of answers, you know, as opposed to just always wondering if you never took that step and, and had that courage. That's really inspirational. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that year was um, a really special time because everywhere I went after that, you know, getting a pedicure or getting a haircut, I would tell the story like, oh, I just met my father. I'm 50 years old. And 
often there would be someone within earshot who would say, wow, I haven't talked to my, and then they would fill in the blank, father or sibling, right? And they would say, you're making me really think I need to. Right. Making a difference. That's what it's all about. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. I love stories like that because it does take a lot of courage, you know, and, and to share that with other people. It's hard enough accepting that yourself, but to share it with other people is, is really a, it's, it's a great thing. I think for your listeners to know that it is a matter of self-trust because I described how other people uh, saw my story and their advice to me was to stay away from him. And there just became a point where no matter what happened when I showed up that day, even if he really did say, I don't know who you are, I don't want anything to do with you, I had to be okay with that. I had to go there knowing that that was out of my control and still go on my own intuition. And so that felt like that pivotal, like I had to go against what a lot of people were advising me to do. Right. And it is always, I think it's easier to, on the outside, you know, looking in to kind of say, well, this would protect her from any potential hurt. So why even try to go toward the hurt? Whereas with you, you were actually in it. It's your situation. It's your father. You needed to dig deep and you, you answered that, that yearning, like you said. And I feel like that, that is a big, a big point to make because a lot of people try to run from what may be hurtful or, you know, dangerous. And yeah, there are some things obviously in life you want to stay away from, but if it's stuff like that, I mean, you went for it and I feel like you're right. A lot of people would say, don't do it because what's the point? But that is the point to do, you know, to, to go toward that yeah. and, and accept it and understand, like you said, it's, it's out of your control. And what I didn't really, we didn't get into spirituality or my faith yet, but ultimately what I've been able to observe over these seven years is that any broken relationship in the natural has an impact in the spiritual realm. So repairing that and me being the one to go in the direction of that repair has turned out to be a really pivotal and crucial um, step in my relationship with God as parent, God as father, God as mother. Right. I wanted to mention on your website, you, you have this quote that I love. It says, I am not the woman I was 10 years ago, not even three years ago. I've healed from CPTSD and have turned my ADHD neurodivergence into a superpower of intuition. Can you reflect on that a little bit? Ah, that's, that's a deep one, isn't it? It um, is. What comes to mind is I joined a local church uh, about six and a half years ago, and we're, I'm no longer there. But at the time, I remember uh, the pastors making comments about we humans can't trust ourselves. And I thought, that's the worst news ever. Why would you tell people that? But now that I've done so much healing, I get where they're coming from, that we all have parts of us that are so lost and so shattered. And we need to find compassion for our own self. And once we can find that and not beat ourselves up, we're developing that intuition and trust yourself path. 
And now I would say I have immense trust for myself and immense intuitive gifts that come from staying the course of not rejecting the parts of me that feel really like in my shadow or really, you know, um, strange. And I say strange because the book does have aspects of poetry and scripture interpretation that some people might find to be strange. This, the same church, the same pastor, he read the book and I found this to be a huge compliment. He said to me, um, I loved your book, Anita. I found it to be really strange. And he goes, I know that sounds like it's not a compliment. He said, but the Bible is really strange. And the more I contemplated that, the more I thought that's really what we humans resist is what's strange in us or what's strange about others. And the more we can develop a curiosity and like an expansiveness to not reject, but to lean in, I think that we find some superpowers. Okay, so that leads me into uh, your book. If you could tell me a little more about your book, Kamikaze Yogi, Christ, Yoga, and the Courage to Emerge. That's the title. It came out last year. Um, and I noticed on the back of the book, you have something, uh, and I'm going to read it. It says, you are more resilient than you believe, wiser than you know, and more conscious than you think. If this concept excites you, then step forward and enjoy some body prayers to quiet the mind and soften the heart. So, yeah, tell me about the book. It digs deep into your faith, like you said, that's very important to you. And, um, yeah, why did you decide to write it? If you could give people, like, a synopsis about what it is and, and why they should read it, what would you say? There's, you know, all different kinds of readers. People could come to it because they're curious about yoga and they could come to it because they either already have faith or they want to expand their faith. And I hope I, you know, speak to both types um, about how they're intertwined. And I, in my experience, Christianity doesn't have a lot of practices. It doesn't have, have a lot of advice on how to pray and how to be in your body and, and feel safe in your body. And so this journey on my yoga mat, as I developed a nervous system that began to heal from childhood trauma, from abandonment, from having a mother having to work two jobs and, you know, not a lot of capacity for presence for her little one, no judgment, just is what it is. And I don't see how you can have a deep growing faith in this unseen, mystical, mysterious realm without practices, because the practices work with human fears and human memories and human stuck energy. We, we all know that we, you know, live that way. We're we're not present a lot of the time. We're stuck in our heads, you know, thinking about the past, worried about the future. And so the yoga is the place where every time I got on my mat, I checked in versus checked out. And so now as a teacher for almost 15 years, you know, I tell people, this is your hour. And sometimes it's going to feel glorious and you're going to feel so peaceful but sometimes you're going to come up against your crap and you're going to not want to get back on your mat because it's so um, 
the way that it calls you to address your stuff and your personal responsibilities and the ways that you might be hiding. So that's where you need faith because it's not just about you and your crap. It's about this larger picture and this larger source of love that we can all connect to. So I think it's crucial for people to contemplate that if they are people of faith, what's their relationship with their body and why I call it a body prayer and how they're doing with being the one who bravely keeps checking in instead of checking out. And you include a beautiful prologue at the beginning, and it is a poem of sorts. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it's about a May day during the COVID pandemic and what you were feeling in that moment. Correct. And I just thought it was beautiful when I read it. I love it so much that I wanted to see if you could read it to our listeners. And it's at the very beginning of the book. And if you could just, yeah, just read it, share it with them. I would love to. It's a late May day. Fierce winds as if March, no sign of the sun. I'm at my in-law's beach house to finish what God started over two years ago, this book. Last week, our 22-year-old daughter graduated with high honors on a full scholarship from Syracuse University. Because of the pandemic, we could not celebrate her capped and gowned in glorious joy, nor celebrate the energy of life, the promise of future, in and with all the human doings in her class of 2020. On this May Day, I slightly resist, then go outside to move my body, walk the dog, I pick up the pace. I sprint for a block. Minutes later, on seeing a sign displayed in a living room window for someone named Bill, a new Rutgers graduate, I burst into tears, unable to touch the memory, that significant period of my life when I graduated college, the first generation of my family on American soil to do so. On this May day, I realize I have blocked out much of my young adult life, too busy surviving before, then, after, and seemingly always. Father, forgive us. We know not what we do. We don't block and numb because we want to. We don't intentionally abandon our inner child out of cruelty. On this May day with fierce winds, purposefully stirring my inward sea with a faceless bill in the window no caps tossed in the air at Syracuse, my own non-celebration folded away in a drawer of past, I weep openly, telling my 22-year-old self, I haven't forgotten you. I am here. You are here. We are reunited. On this May day, the wind swirls round my younger self. The square on my calendar becomes emblazoned with TK, Talitha Kumi, the power of Aramaic words spoken in scripture to a child from the son of man's own mouth, a rebirth representing restoration and resurrection. As Jesus breathes new life, as those words reach me, on this May Day, I boldly announce, Talitha Kumi, arise, little one. You were dormant, not dead. Thank you so much. That's truly powerful. So what inspired you to include that at the very beginning? Because you're, you're going into the book, and that's what you included at the very beginning. That's what people are going to read first. 
Was it just something that you felt inspired to do in the moment? Was it something you planned for a while? How did that work? Definitely felt inspired in the moment. And I have a tattoo on my left forearm with Talitha Kumi in Greek lettering. And it's really big. So um, pretty much anywhere I go where I meet new people and they see it, they'll ask me what it says. And then I'll tell them a little bit about Jesus's words that they're to each of us and that trauma disconnects us from the inner child, connects, disconnects us from our creativity. And that's a big part of my story. You know, here I am writing a book in my 50s, and it wasn't until I was in my early 40s that I wrote my first poem. So there was this long period of time raising children, feeling like I wasn't creative. And I had told you I was smart when I was in school. And then I entered like almost two decades where I lost this connection to myself as a smart woman and lost myself in parenting and being a wife. And I hated my career. I was a banker for the better part of 13 years. That wasn't satisfying. So I really felt throughout my 40s that I needed to reconnect and heal um, my younger self and figure out where my creativity and my, and my smarts had gone. And so when I felt called to become a yoga teacher, uh, I said to these two young women who were my teachers, I was about 44 years old and they were in their early thirties. I said, I know I'm going to fail. And they said, you know, they didn't know why I said that, but I just had this deep rooted fear um, a failure that I was um, in my 40s now and I wasn't going to be able to do anything fresh or successful. And words have power. I did fail. I failed um, the written exam. It was a take-home exam. Doesn't even make any sense how I failed it. Um, I had done the physical teaching and was told, you're going to make a great yoga instructor someday, but you failed the written exam, but we're going to give you a second chance to redo it. And I said, oh, you know, I really appreciated that. And I thought to myself, I really spoke that. I, I said it over myself and it happened. I believed that I would pass. So I went back and I redid the test to the best of my ability. I thought, resubmitted it, and they failed me a second time. They told me that I disrespected them by handing in such a poor paper. And I said, I don't understand, like I'm doing the best I can. And they said, sorry, um, <laughs> move along. And some fire within me just rose up. I was so angry. And I wrote them in a, a letter and I said, you can't do this to me. I was meant to be a yoga teacher and you know, I'm going to be a great one. You need to help me pass this exam. I, I can't it can't end this way. I'll do it anyway. I, I said, I'll be a yoga teacher without this certification. And somehow I convinced them to give me a third chance. And I, as I was doing the exam the third time, I came up against these blocks of entitlement. Like, oh, you, you've been volunteering and teaching for a few years without this certification. You don't really need this. You know, you're pretty good. And that entitlement is ugly. Like talk about the shadow, talk about the ways that I found these parts of myself that didn't know how to dig deep and work hard and didn't believe in myself, didn't know 
that I had that capacity. I just had this story of, well, that's good enough. It's going to have to do. And then when I just kept failing, I had to face this, well, it's not good enough. They're not going to accept it. And passing that exam on the third time was, you can probably hear me smiling. It was everything. I was so proud of myself. Interesting. Wow. So yeah, the power of the mind and entitlement. I love how you brought that up because a lot of people don't want to admit they have, they, 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 they think that way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it seems like the second you realize that is when you actually started to progress. Yes. Wow. That's a great story. Thank you for sharing. All right, Anita. So we're going to take a moment because it's time for Love Letter Break. Now, Love Letter Break is a break in the episode where I ask my guests to come up with one to three people that they want to express gratitude for and just, you know, say thank you, some people who have impacted their life. So, Anita, who are the people that you chose and what would you like to say to them? My husband, Bob, we've been together for 30 years. We just celebrated our anniversary in October. And we're the yin and the yang to each other. In the book, my endorsement, my acknowledgement to him was, you're the key to my kite. So if you can picture two people who really harmonize one another, that's our marriage. And we figured that out over these three decades. Just so grateful for his support, his grounding presence, his hard work. He's so dedicated to our family. And it's just everything to me. And that's really what freed up his love, freed up my path to write a book and to become a coach and a yoga teacher, you know, kind of in second half of life. I'll thank my mom because we've been through a lot together. And uh, Renee is a very special lady. She has a lot of people who love her and appreciate her gifts. She spends hours every day creating um, afghans and scarves and hats, beautiful crocheted items. And she's retired now, but she worked really hard her whole life. She really wanted to just put me first to have better than she had. And I would say she succeeded. I have a really great life. Great. Thank you so much for that. All right. So on your website, you have what's called the bridge model of coaching. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, what I loved about that was bringing in the yoga right into the coaching model so that we have that initial check-in, that baseline, like how are you feeling in this moment? And the person can identify, I'm anxious or I've been stuck, and they can be really honest. And then we have R for regulate, and we're going to breathe together, and we're going to ground together and trust that that interconnectedness Uh, really is going to almost like um, that heart resonance across time and space is a real thing. And we're going to regulate and we're going to draw closer to one another. And then the I is innovate, um, begin to ask questions so that you can explore what you want to accomplish and what the blocks are. D is design, continue on that. Um, G is the growth that you want to experience and execute. So I love that it's 
generally in 30 minutes, we can accomplish a lot and basically partner so that the client can really feel that um, I'm in tune <laughs> with uh, who they are and what they need. So you're, you're an author, you're a life coach, you're a yoga teacher, you do so many things. Is there one thing that you enjoy the most? And if not, like, what do you like about each of them? Is there one particular thing or do they all kind of come together? They do. They come together. Um, during the pandemic, I couldn't teach much yoga. We weren't doing that in person. And I wasn't sure I was going to go back to it. And now I teach senior citizens two mornings a week in person. And I just love it so much. And it's perfect for me because I've always been an intuitive teacher where I don't teach the same routine and I don't teach the way that I was necessarily trained. I read the room, I read their bodies, I read the energy and I bring, uh, you know, basically what I intuit is needed that day. So sometimes students love that and sometimes they're really challenged by it because they don't know what to expect. But I have the seniors in their 70s and 80s saying to me, even though we don't like your style sometimes because it makes it hard, we know that our brains need that. So it feels like I'm like the perfect teacher for them instead of somebody who just comes, you know, basically with this same uh, class plan. You never know what you're going to get. So I love that. And then um, I have a breathwork practice that's my uh, signature course called I'm Going to Stress You Out. It has a little smiley face after it. And I've been teaching that on Zoom. Basically, the thinking behind that and the science behind it is that we all do carry that internal stress and inflammation and that a little bit of discomfort uh, done with intention. So it's just a breath practice that is fast paced and there are some breath holds that make you uncomfortable. So the intention is to tap in to that stress, to release it through discomfort. So you might've heard people say, uh, take cold showers or um, the Wim Hof method, these various um, through the neuroscience of just something brief. So you're not doing something uncomfortable for an extended period of time. It's like a minute or two. Yes, I've looked into that method before. I was suggested that. And yeah, it's it's pretty intense, but it's really, really cool how that works. It's all about the breath. <laughs> <laughs> it is. All right. And then you also have your own podcast called It's Five O'Clock Somewhere. Can you tell us more about that? And how long have you been doing it? And what content do you focus on? There was a period of time before I wrote the book where I created a hundred episodes. So all that creative energy that was beginning to stir in me went towards creating the podcast. And I did a podcast instead of a YouTube because it really, for me, is so important to explore the inner journey of the yoga. It's not so much like here in the West, we generally have taken yoga and we think that you have to be in a studio with a nice outfit, with a handsome or beautiful teacher, and it's very physical and it's about, um, you know, paying $20 a class. I wanted to make it really accessible to anyone. So they're between 15 and 25 minutes long and you just listen to my voice and trust that these shapes that you're making and this breath that you're deepening 
is going to have a profound impact on your wellness. And it's not about this Western. I mean, that's great too. I've done that. I love it. But it's about so, so much more. It's always been spiritual. It's always been the word yoga, meaning yoke your mind, body, and spirit to the divine. Um, so yeah, so that exists. I haven't updated it in a while, but it doesn't matter. There's a hundred episodes to choose from. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of dedication. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So obviously one of the important roles in your life is as a mom. So my question is, have you taught your kids what you're teaching others now and how do they feel about what you do? Do you have two kids? I do. Okay. Rebecca's 25. She moved out to California uh, Labor Day weekend. So she's not too far from you. And she's a speech therapist. She loves yoga. She is so compassionate with her patients and with her uh, just in her life. She's a very compassionate human being. And my son moved to New York City around that same time. He's 23, a little bit younger, and he's in finance. So he's got all this great fiery energy for the business world. And yeah, I see my influence on them and how um, Bob and I are very different. We parent differently and how they've gotten the benefits of both sides, the more the intuitive and then Uh, He's got that, he's a lawyer, so he's got the legal mind, the rational, the logical, which of course I have that too, but we need to uh, balance the masculine and the feminine within each of us and not um, think that we have to choose one or the other. We definitely can find the harmony of the both, and I see that in my children. Great. Right there, you've devoted your life, a lot of your life, uh, to helping others. But who do you turn to when you need help? Is there a certain person that inspires you or anything that inspires you that kind of sticks out in your mind? I have a few friends, beautiful women of faith that have crossed my path over these last seven or eight years. And I definitely turn to them for uh, prayer support, for listening, and the, the flow between us is just everything. And I use, I write about it in the book a little bit, going through a long phase of not being a good friend, coming from that wounding, being in relationships where I was guilty of gossip and just really being, you know, embarrassed that I felt like that was where my currency was, like who I knew and what I knew about them. And I don't really, you know, I don't beat myself up anymore, but you definitely don't want to stay there. You want to grow beyond that kind of immature way of being in, you know, of friendships. So now these women are warriors and brave doing their healing work and mothers and wives and successful in their own right. So really, really blessed with these friends. Yeah, it's always good to have great friends. So your faith is obviously very important to you. Um, But I wanted to ask, how do you approach it if a person comes to you and they are not religious whatsoever and they don't believe in God, you know, all of that stuff, but they want your help? How how do you approach that? Are you willing to help them? And and is it challenging in that way if if you can't use faith or do you use something else to kind of help guide them through? That's been a beautiful part of just maturing as a human. Uh, Yeah, I don't have any judgment. 
towards anyone any longer. That definitely was a big part of my life of letting that go, being that yoga teacher who's like, everybody needs to do yoga. If you're not doing yoga, you know, you're missing out. And then like, everybody needs to go to church. You need to join my church, you know? So I have a lot of energy. I have a lot of passion. I've definitely uh, met a lot of people and, and been a little salesy, uh, but I don't think I do that anymore. I think I definitely pretty much asked God to show me how to meet people right where they are so that I can just be a loving presence. And yeah, like you said, help by listening, mostly by listening, asking um, that our world seems really short on good listeners. And I, I wanted to become that woman that people would say, Anita's a really good listener. And that feels huge for me because with ADHD, with the CPTSD, that creates a nervous system that doesn't listen very well. So the yoga practice really helps with listening. I'd like you to think back to a time when you were a child where you feel like you were struggling the most and you had you know, a lot of doubt in the future and all of that. What would you say with everything you know now and today as, as an adult, what would you say to that, that inner child that's still there, that, that little Anita, to help her through? Yeah. Um, know yourself. Trust yourself. Trust the journey. Uh, it's a beautiful journey. And have fun. Be creative. Express yourself. Be true to your uniqueness and know that you're connected I feel like um, not having a father formed this big lie in me of disconnect, of being alone. And I've had a lot of sadness where I've sat and felt really sorry for myself, for being an only child, for not having a father, for being alone. And the only way through that is to feel it. And I've sat and let myself be really grief stricken because I think it's my inner child who's grief stricken, not just adult Anita. So I would say to that little girl, I'm listening to you. You're one with me and you help me every day to have fun, be lighthearted. And uh, I'm really glad that I feel like I'm, I want to say to her, I'm really glad that you chose me. <laughs> Aww, that's wonderful. And I feel like when you look back on your inner child with who you are today, if you really soak it in, you can see how much you've learned and like you can feel it and it's very bittersweet and it's just like they always say, if, if only I knew then what I know now, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Okay, so you've done so much already. We're heading towards 2023. Do you have any big plans for the new year? Do you have another book you want to write? What's next for you? I've begun a little bit on a spiritual autobiography. I'm toying around with a kind of funny little title, um, self-made theologian or self-taught theologian. That same pastor I messaged, I, I mentioned earlier, he, that was one of his gifts. He made each of us feel like when you pursue God, you can know God. And God is so personal and knowable that the people that study theology, like they're no better off than you are. And I really believe that. And that is my personal experience. And I want people that are interested in that to know that your path of faith, is just really special. So that's what I would probably write about with my spiritual autobiography. And I think I want to 
preach. So I don't know how that is going to, I mean, I preach by teaching yoga. I, I feel like this is kind of, it's a, maybe an odd word for it, but to me telling my story, my testimony is preaching. So I, I want to do more of that. That sounds good. You'll have to come back on the podcast when you have all that out. <laughs> <laughs> sounds great. All right. So if people want to reach out to you and learn more about yoga and need help out there, want to get your book, where can they find you? Yeah, you can get it on Amazon, but there are other smaller websites if you want to give them the business. I would appreciate um, your reading and your reaching out to me. Uh, my website is called Groovology, but if you type in Anita Grace Brown, uh, my Facebook, my website, my Instagram, they're all going to pop up, my, my podcast. And um, yeah, I would love any private coaching clients or if anybody wants to take the breathing course that I offer about once a month on Zoom as a group class. So you could email me or you could reach out to me uh, through those other ways uh, to get into that class. Great. Okay. And then I will leave all the links in the description for this episode as well to all of that and your website and everything. Okay, Anita, so I have one more question, and it's the same last question I ask all my guests, and it was inspired by a social anxiety disorder I had as a child and the importance of using your voice. So the question is, if you could only say one more sentence or phrase out loud for the rest of your life, what would it be? I am loved. That's a great one. All right. Well, that's about everything I have. Thank you so much. It was just so wonderful to chat with you. I appreciate you. Oh, I appreciate you as well. And, and it was great to get to know you better. And, and you sent me your book and I love it. I'm, I'm halfway through and, and I, I can't wait to read the rest. But like, I just wanted to get this out as soon as possible. And you basically gave everyone your info. And, and I highly recommend you get the book because it's already great from what I've read. And I just... I don't know. I'm so thankful for you, Anita. <laughs> I'm thankful for people like you who are willing to share such, you know, intimate stories, especially with what you went through as a kid and, and finding your dad and all of that. That's that's what it's about. Thank you. There's lots of people out there we don't realize. Right. The healing is available to everyone, but we, we really have to do our part. And there's a lot we can do. Right. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much again for being on here. I look forward to having you again in the future when you write your next book or whenever you want to come on. I'd love any new information you'd love to share. I'm, I'm happy to have you on. Thanks, Erin. I can't wait to share this with everybody. Yeah, of course. I'm going to end the episode the same way I end every episode. That's with an inspirational quote. And this one's actually from Anita's book, Kamikaze Yogi. We are able to hear only what we are able to take in. All right. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Uh, if you can, make sure you rate, share, review, and subscribe to the podcast. That'll help a lot. And you can also follow the new podcast Instagram page. I made one recently, and that is at Erin Glow Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I will catch you on the next one. But until then, make sure you glow and shine bright. Mm -hmm.